Take three. Howdy guys. <laughs> Benji here and my lovely mysterious wife that you've never seen before, Hitoe. We have our baby Iona here with us. And today is a special kind of episode because uh, we went traveling to New York to UTS to do uh, to give high noon content at a workshop there for a bunch of young adults. And during that workshop, we had a Q&A, a live Q&A. And the Q&A touched a lot of topics to do with sexual integrity and matching and blessing and crushes and all that good stuff. So we decided, I decided to, to uh, let you guys watch that Q&A, even though I was very hesitant to do that because I didn't want it to be taken out of context. Uh, it was a live Q&A, so I was very passionate <laughs> while I was speaking. So I hope that you can listen to it with, uh, with, with the heart that I meant to give it with. Uh, and, and my intention is that it's helpful for you. For you. So um, please check it out. And after you watch that video, we're going to be doing a little song for you guys that we recorded. We recorded a long time ago, or a few years ago, my wife and I recorded. And it was never released to the public. Um, so this is us giving an offering to you. Okay, guys? All right, lots of love. See you soon. Bye. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. Okay, questions. Is it okay to have preferences? How do you confront them? Also, how to de-emphasize the mindset of having more external preferences for a spouse than internal? <sighs> okay, so anytime you feel a question come up as like, is it okay or is, how is this? It's important to understand that un underlyingly there's a fear of what? What if I make a mistake? Okay, what happens if I go down this road? So in this particular question, what happens if I have preferences, particularly external or internal preferences when I'm going into the matching process? Is it okay? The answer is yes, it is okay. But, big but, but however, you have to understand the costs that come with those preferences, all right? Because every preference you have, it narrows your pool of opportunity little by little by little. All right, because if you, someone has a lot of preferences, the chances of them finding someone that matches their qualifications perfectly are very, very slim. Does that make sense? Whereas opposed to if you're someone like the first generation of our movement, maybe a lot of your parents went to true parents matching, right? What was the only criteria that they had when they received the matching? They had the opposite sexual organ as me, number one. What else? There's actually only one. There's the opposite gender, but there's one that's subtle that no one thinks about. Yes, there's, they, there's somebody that shares the same faith and trust in true parents as me. Because they're also going to this ceremony. So by definition, they also have this. And that's it. So if you think of it like a funnel, and this is like an idea that I'm kind of explained to people recently. If you think about a funnel, at the very top of the funnel, you have the most basic things, right? They're the right gender. They're the opposite gender. Next, they have a shared value and value system and shared faith in the blessing and God, right? And everything after that is optional. 100% optional. But you have to know that it's okay, but you know that you're narrowing your pool, your funnel, little by little by little by little, until what you're left with is nobody. Because there's not that many people. And here's a trick that true parents did, and I fully believe this, and I get in trouble for saying this, okay? But I believe it, that I'm gonna say here. When true father's matching people, I think the, the fundamental thing that he was looking for in these spouses was not all the things people th think. It's not like, oh, you know, shape of the face, oh, spiritual ancestors linking each other. Maybe a little bit, I don't know. 
But the primary thing that people, two people have in common is they have a shared belief in a blessing. And True Father knows that if two people who have a shared belief in God and vision, and they want to teach their children about the blessing because that is one of the, the vows and the pledges that people make when they receive the blessing. True Father knows that if we put these two people together, they can make it work. And that's the biggest portion of it. That's the biggest under the iceberg thing that makes marriages work. Does that make sense? And the, the, the problem with getting wrapped up in all the other preferences and external things and, oh, they don't have the right face of shape or they don't have the right skin color or the right hand gestures and the thumb thing and all that stuff, the problem with focusing on that is you're missing the biggest picture of all, right? So yeah, it's okay to have preferences, yes. But you have to understand the costs of doing that. And it might take you 10 years to realize that, okay? So what it actually looks like when you're going through the matching process is talk about these things. Okay? Talk about it. It's so like, hey, I, I know that I would prefer someone that is taller than me or shorter than me or speaks my language, right? Be open to the fact that every single person is a unique, individual, God-given person, is a, is a godly person. And be open to the fact that every individual is uniquely valuable in their own right, and you should treat every single person that you interact with or in a matching process with as a potential matching partner. Okay? And start with that. And if you find like it's, it's, it's too difficult to, to talk to this person because I have this preference or whatever, you can share about that. Talk about it, you know? Talk about it with your team. Okay, so how to de-emphasize the external preferences? To be honest, you have to really look at how much time you're spending on social media, watching movies, etc. because those things influence tremendously how we view people, externally speaking. They've even done studies where they took people, uh, if you look through a bunch of uh, like Instagram photos of a bunch of attractive people and then right after that you look at your spouse or your partner you will see your spouse or partner significantly less attractive than you did before you saw those photos right does that make sense so logically speaking the more you're engaging in this kind of stuff of feeding your brain super normal stimuli of what attractiveness is, then naturally you will start responding to those kinds of things. So take an honest look at yourself. It's like, do I spend a lot of time on Instagram, on YouTube, watching movies, and see, being exposed to that kind of stuff? And if so, I would wager that there is a level of unhealthy relationship with what attractive really is, okay? Because attraction is a double-edged sword in the sense that attraction is a God-given thing, right? You're, God gave you the feelings of attraction for a reason. Why? Yeah, to, to be motivated to, to have children, right? To be in a relationship. But it's a double-edged sword when we use attraction for ourselves or that attraction is looked through a lens of training the brain through many years of exposure to things like social media and porn. That's the danger, right? Okay, that's one question. Gee whiz. All right. How do I let go of crushes and stop fantasizing? So, how do you let go of crushes? I think the most helpful thing uh, you can do, we actually did a podcast, cast, podcast episode about crushes recently. Kozen was on it. You guys knew that. Why you gotta expose me like that? What's it's fine. Everyone, everyone knows this about it. Everyone knows about it, right? Well, now they do. I just want to give you guys a reason to check it out. It's really insightful. It's really insightful. And it helped me, and it helps a lot of people realize something really important, that crushes and fantasizing is a, is a reaction or a manifestation of something deeper, right? Yes, please watch. Yeah. It's, it's a good episode. It's important. It's, it's like, 
how you deal with it is you deal with the underlying issue. It's like noticing in what state do I feel more susceptible to developing these tendencies to have crushes and to, to fantasize. If you're really self-aware, it's like, well, I guess when I'm feeling really lonely, yeah, and I'm feeling unloved, or I feel stressed, and I try to just kind of escape. We talked about escapism a lot. Sometimes I just try to escape these feelings and difficult emotions with, with fantasizing and crushes because it helps me deal with it. So that's how you deal with it, is you address the root issue. OK, let's see. OK, talking about porn a little bit, is OK? We'll go back to that stuff. So statistically, it's likely my future spouse has dealt with issue of porn as well. How can I best support my future spouse in the, if this issue appears in our marriage? I saw a few similar questions here. Statistically speaking, it's safe to assume that your spouse, your matching partner, who you're communicating with, has been exposed to porn and masturbation. It's safe to assume that, OK? And that's not a, a reason to judge, and that's not a reason to condemn them. It's, not, it's definitely not a reason to discontinue a conversation with you. Because I've already shown you all those couples, all those photos, whom, in my experience, are the most qualified to be in a blessed relationship. Why? Because they're willing to talk about these things together. They have all gone through this process of going through a matching process, talking about sexual integrity, talking about even their past mistakes and talking about their own struggles, and being able to make a decision together. It's like, hey, I see that you have made mistakes. And in some, and in some cases, people have ongoing habits with porn masturbation, right? Even in their matching process. And at that point, you have to make a decision. With this information, am I willing to, am I willing to learn how to love this person for who they are? And am I willing to help them address this root issue at its core? Yeah? So. How can you best support a person? This is getting really hypothetical because I think a lot of you guys are not in this situation. But a spouse's primary job is to be educated so that they can support. Because there's typically two reactions when a, when a matching partner or a spouse finds out about a, a porn use, right? The extreme examples are complete disgust and like, I can't believe you would do this to me and I want to divorce right now, right? That's one extreme and that happens. The other extreme is what? Complete apathy. It's like, okay, sure, that's fine, you know? I don't care. <laughs> Both of those don't help, right? But there's actually a middle ground. There's actually a, a healthy medium. Do you know what that is? It's to be educated. It's to know, because on the surface, if you look at someone's porn behavior, it's like, you're a weird, gross, perverted human being of a freak of nature. What's wrong with you? But if you understand the nature of addiction, then you realize, oh, this person's in pain. They're not doing this to me, and they need support, right? And that's understanding so that you can make a decision about it. Emotional maturity, or recognizing and use, emo, use of emotions, is important in preventing escapism or porn and masturbation. How can I measure the maturity of myself and my spouse? This is why I say that sexual integrity was one of the greatest things that you can achieve in order to prepare well for the matching blessing, okay? And the reason for that is because when you have sexual integrity, what are the things that are entailed, encompassed in that? Number one, you know how to use your sexual organ, not for yourself. That's a great quality to bring into a relationship, right? Number two, you have exactly this, emotional maturity. You know how to identify 
emotions, difficult emotions, you know how to deal with them in a productive way, and you've learned the skill of how to do that. And that's one of the most important things that you can do in a relationship. And number three, you know how to communicate with people. More, most likely, you know how to communicate with people about difficult things, difficult emotions that you're feeling, right? And what better thing to bring to your future spouse than I know how to deal with emotions and I know how to talk about it. I think this is actually one of the greatest things you can do to prepare for, for a relationship is have emotional uh, intelligence. But to kind of wrap all that up, I think sexual integrity is one of the critical pieces here. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how do you measure it? Where is your sexual integrity at? How are you focusing in there? How do I know when I'm ready to start the matching process? There are certain milestones that you can accomplish that are good indicators that you are ready for a matching process, right? There's many things, emotionally speaking, sexual integrity speaking, financially speaking even, um, that are good indicators that someone is ready for matching and blessing. But my overview, overall response to this is you're ready when you're willing, okay? It's not am I ready to get matched, it's am I willing to grow through the experiences? Am I willing to learn how to love? Am I willing to grow? Am I learn, willing to put aside my own behaviors and self-centered self patterns? Am I willing to put someone else first and learn how to do that? And I think if you can honestly ask yourself that, then sure, you're ready. But we do have a few milestones that we work right. Number one is sexual integrity. This is why we have a six-month recommended, ideally six-month period of abstaining from porn and masturbation before someone becomes a matching candidate. And we have that as a milestone. Another milestone financially is if you can, if you can save $3,000 in cash, you're probably in good standing. It's very indicative that you would be a good matching candidate, right? Is that pretty solid? Why $3,000? Because the blessing fee is $2,000 and $1,000 for you guys to go to Korea and have a good time. Something like that, right? <laughs> and also because most people in America can't save $3,000. They can. Most people can't afford to save $500 for an expense. So if you can save $3,000 in cash, it means you're ahead of the curve and you'll probably be okay, financially speaking, in your relationship because you know how to save, you know how to invest in something in the future, you know how to delay gratification. And those are great qualities to have uh, in a relationship, in a marriage. Okay. Okay. So many second-gen youth today are dealing with porn and masturbation. 80% male and 50% female. True. That's the stats we're looking at. How should my expectations be for my future match about sexual purity? So I saw another question asking about the actual statistics. Um, maybe I can show it in a bit later when I'm going to do the resources. But the 80%, 50% is, is about it. It's a little more than 80% for, for, uh, for men in our, in our movement. Okay. And like I said before, it's reasonable to expect that your future ma match will have had a relationship with porn masturbation. So there you go. From your experience being blessed, I guess that's me, what are some tips you have for resolving arguments between you and your spouse? What is the ideal way to resolve any issues? Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of, there's a lot of uncertainty because of the way maybe a lot of your parents dealt with arguments. Yeah. It's like seeing conflict in your house and being affected by that and not at all wanting to bring that into your future family. So I understand that's a concern, right? Uh, <clears throat> this is why I consistently say that emotional intelligence is so important when you're getting into a relationship, into a marriage. 
Because if you have two people that are like that, that say, feel stress and know how to deal with it by communicating about it, then what happens to the relationship? Guys, they can't fail. You understand? If someone is willing to take ownership of their emotions and their, and their, their selves and their decisions and their words and address that and continue to grow through that process, you can't fail in a relationship. You can't. They're unbeatable. Because there's nothing that life can throw at a couple like that that they can't overcome. There's nothing. So have give and take. That would be my answer. Have give and take about stuff. And importantly for you who are preparing, develop the muscle and the habit of knowing how to have give and take about these things. And that's why I asked the question, if you had to connect deeply with someone every day and receive grace every day from someone, how would you do it? Do that for a week and notice how you feel. Do it for three weeks, notice how you feel. Do it for 40 days, notice how you feel. And I promise you it will change your life, it will. Okay? Here's the thing though, why don't people do it? People know going to the gym exercising is important and it's healthy, but why don't people do it? It's hard, right? It's hard. I could just, when I'm feeling stressed, I could squash this emotion with video games and porn, or I could talk with someone, but I don't want to talk with someone. Why? Because it's hard. You know what else is hard, guys? Being addicted your whole life. Being overweight and unhealthy because you haven't been going to the gym your whole life. So it's thinking long-term versus thinking short-term. Thinking short-term, yeah, it's hard to connect with people. Yeah, it's hard to pray. Yeah, it's hard to do honoke. Yeah, it's hard to fundraise even. Well, what's harder, that or developing an entire life on unhealthy behaviors? It's actually harder to do the other one, don't you think? So people ask me all the time, like, how do I make it a like a knee-jerk reaction when I feel an emotion, and the first thing I want to do is talk to someone and share and connect and connect with God, because that's hard. I don't have that habit. How do you do it? You just practice. And when people start going to the gym, what do they say? Oh, this is hard. I'm sore. This is new. This is difficult. Or they start running, and they go, man, this is really hard, and I hate running. This is not for me. But if you do it enough, right, what happens? What happens is that you hate not doing it because it feels weird. And you prefer to work out, you prefer to run, you prefer to eat healthy. Because if you don't, it feels off. And you're like, man, something's wrong. Who here plays an instrument? Piano, guitar, lots of people, okay? What happens if you go a whole month without picking up your instrument? It's like, ah! And then you see one like at the mall and you're just like jamming on the piano, right? because it feels weird not to do it. We have to get to the place where it's a first reaction. This is that people that succeed most with addictions or porn or masturbation or unwanted behavior is that they've just done it enough so they prefer to take action than not because they know from evidence and proof from their life that it's better and it feels better to do something about it than to squash it down. And if you do it enough, you will prefer to go to the gym. If you don't go for the gym for a week or a few weeks, you will start feeling weird and be like, man, I really need to go to the gym. Even though it's hard temporarily, long-term wise, it's actually more enjoyable. Is that making sense? Yeah. So you just gotta do it and get used to it.
How do I remove fear of getting rejected in matching and blessing process? Okay, so the question is, if you're gonna get into a communication phase and communicate with someone about the matching and blessing, how do you get rid of the fear because I have a fear of reaching out because I'm afraid of being rejected? It's a very real fear to have. Uh, I would answer that question with another question. How did you get over your fear of fundraising? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> How did you get over your fear of fundraising? What? Pair, with a pair. So doing it together with someone else. Okay, so you kind of eased yourself into it. How else did you get rid of it? Stop thinking about myself. Stop thinking about yourself, okay. <laughs> Just jump in. That's probably the biggest one, honestly, right? It's probably the biggest domino here, is if you just do it, you realize, actually, there's not much to fear. And so that's possible. One way that, I guess, a practical way you can ease yourself into it, uh, this goes for any fear, by the way, is list all of the worst case scenarios, okay? The worst case scenario is I get in a conversation with someone and they go, wow, you are ugly. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me that before I got on this call with you? How dare you waste five seconds of my life? Hang up. That's the worst case, maybe? Anything worse you guys can think of? I don't know. They come to your house with a chainsaw. Like, I can't believe you are so ugly. I'm going to give you cosmetic surgery right now. Okay? And then the, the exercise is take yourself through it. Take yourself through that. What happens is you go, wow, I do not want to get matched to that person. <laughs> and congratulations, you found the person you should run the opposite direction of. That's helpful information, right? And this happens in a real way, it does. It's like, oh, I was reaching out to this person and they said something like, okay, a real example is like, I had a sexual relationship in the past, right? And the person said, uh, in this situation, the person was like, well, I, I don't want to accept that, right? And this person didn't say like, oh, that's offensive and I can't believe that. It's like, okay, well, that's not, like, that's just not the person. It's not the person that I want to get matched to. If they're not willing to like, have a conversation and learn about who I am today and not the mistakes I've made, right? And actually, we did a podcast, uh, a few podcasts. You should listen to them on the Matchnet podcast about testimonies like this. People sharing honestly. It's like, yeah, I've, I've looked for people because I was blessed previously or I had a relationship previously. And I was looking for people. And people kept saying, like, no, that's not for me. No, that's for me. And then I found somebody who was like, OK, so, you know? And they were willing to look at me who I am now. And that's when you go, oh, this is a direction I want to go. And if, someone, if someone's immediate reaction is like, oh no, I, I, I want to reject you, then congratulations, you found, you've narrowed it down a little bit, right? On the other end, you have to be willing to, to have conversations with people and see every single person you interact with as a potential matching partner. You have to be able to see everyone in their God-given God ways and how they might uniquely be valuable, right? This one, I understand porn is bad, but it is hard to understand why masturbation is bad. Could you explain about it? Bad, 
Okay, so there's a reason why if you, this is a reason why if you go on the street and ask anybody what's wrong with porn and masturbation, if you just ask what's wrong with masturbation, almost everyone will say it's fine. And there's a reason that this is a commonly held belief. And you know what that reason is? It's simply because if you do a simple Google search or YouTube search, what are the harms of masturbation? The first articles you see are gonna be what? What are the benefits of masturbation? Okay? It's a very one-sided conversation going on. And if you read through all the benefits, it's like you could have this and that, and you can experience this, and you can find yourself, and you could be happy, and you can do whatever you want, and all this stuff. If you actually read the article, and if you go to the very, very bottom of every single one of those articles, Medical News Today, uh, WebMD, if you go to the very bottom, there's a disclaimer in the bottom with a box, and it says, disclaimer, if you develop an addiction to masturbation, please seek medical profession and help. And then they list what an addiction is. You can't stop. You try to stop, but you can't. You think about it. It develops into more severe use of the addiction, right? Basically, everything that everybody's dealing with when they have a masturbation thing, right? So they're not accounting to the fact that most people that, that you do masturbate do eventually develop an addiction to it. They're not also considering the fact that 75% of people that masturbate also watch porn while they're doing it. Nobody's thinking about that, okay? The vast majority of people that do masturbate also watch porn. And it's a very easy way to get into it, right? So that's that perspective. The other perspective is, like I said before, who do you wanna be? Like, if you wanna receive the blessings, this is why I asked you guys in the beginning, which most of you, I think, did. Say, I wanna receive the blessings someday. I wanna be in a committed relationship someday. I know that. If that's the case, how likely is it that you can have a selfless relationship, the relationship that you want with your spouse, if you bring this habit into your future marriage of self-soothing myself whenever I want, especially when I'm feeling difficult emotions? Right? I don't recommend that's a good start to a relationship. So is it okay? You could justify the heck out of it. You could. You can justify the heck out of a porn addiction. You could. Everyone else is. It's easy to justify. And that's why I have to start with questions like, what do you guys want? And I hope that through this program, GPA, you figured out a little bit about your vision for your life and the kind of man or woman that you want to be, and that God sees you can be. And I hope that through that, you can decide in yourself, you know what, this is not what I want. I don't want to be addicted to masturbation, right? Alright, I love this question. Man, you guys are all over the place. How do you deal with an emotion in a good and healthy way, for example, shame or anger or stress? I love this question! So the easy way to answer this is, how would you deal with emotions a hundred years ago? How did all of our ancestors from the beginning of human history until, until we had phones, basically, how did they deal with difficult emotions like anger or stress? Talk to people, share, what else? What? Exercise. Exercise. There's three primary ways. Number one, move your body, which is exercise, sports, hunting, those types of things. Number two, you internalize on your own. That's prayer, meditation, journaling. Number three, you share with somebody. You connect with somebody, a group of people. You go to the town wise person and you share your struggles. 
The important thing here is that that's how we've always dealt with stress and difficult emotions, all of human history. We didn't even have books for most of history, <laughs> okay? And if you did have a book, you probably couldn't read. <laughs> and it's just in the last 50 to 100 years that we've had more ways to escape than ever before. The accessibility, the ease of accessibility of drugs, alcohol, your phone, video games, TV, Netflix, it's instantly available all the time. If it is true that Adam and Eve, uh, said that the lack of love that we talk about in the DP has been existing since the beginning of time, all of, since the beginning of Adam and Eve, why is it that just in the last 10, 20 years we've seen a skyrocket in loneliness, depression, suicides? Why? Interesting, right? If all of history is we've had lack of love, it's always been a problem. Why is it just in the last few decades? It's part of, partly phones. It's because it's easier to escape emotions than ever before. It's easier to squash things down. It's easier to feel lonely and just like numb ourselves. Because you can be stressed, you can be angry, and then just immediately go and watch Netflix and be like, ah, life is good. I feel cool. Sounds a lot like drugs, doesn't it, to be honest? Yeah. So this is important. Remember those three things. That's how you deal with emotions in a productive way. Is you move your body, you internalize, or you share with someone. One of these is, in my opinion, the most effective way to deal with emotions. Yeah? And that's you're sharing with people. But the reality is you don't always have people to share with, which is why the other ones come in handy sometimes. But I recommend that the first thing you be like, man, I'm feeling something. Who can I talk to? Who can I connect with? Right? People often say that women are emotional and men are not emotional. Have you ever heard that before? Here's the truth of the matter. I don't think that's actually the whole truth. Yes, women may be emotional, but men are also emotional. We're just really good at hiding it. <laughs> We're really good at numbing ourselves and pretending like, pretending like we don't feel emotions. So it's more like emotions for women and emotions for men. Or like maybe, maybe like this, right? But it's not like this, which people typically think. Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> How do you open up to your parents about your problems? Let's see, uh, I think this is a good question if someone maybe has a relationship with your parents where you don't feel comfortable to share difficult things or problems or past mistakes. If that's the case, I can recommend what I did, which is I wrote them a letter when I was, in a, when I was somewhere else, not in their house. <laughs> I wrote them a letter and I sent it to them. And that's what I did. I just felt like I had to do it and I was afraid of how they might react but then I realized it's actually not for them, it's for me. So I actually don't care how they react. And so when I realized that, I was like, you know what, I don't care how they react because this is more for me and I'm just gonna do it. And it was liberating, right? Fortunately, my parents didn't bring it up after that. They never talked about it. I actually, actually I called them and asked them, did you get my letter with all that weird stuff I wrote? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we got it. I was like, okay, that's, that's what I wanted to know, you know? <laughs> um, but the reality is that a lot of parents are not like that. So if you're in a situation where your parents are not as receptive to mistakes or problems, um, I would encourage that you can maybe take a step in the right direction by sharing with someone that you are confident can help you as a parental figure. Yeah? Does that make sense? So take, kind of take it incrementally step by step by sharing with uh, a parental figure, like uncle, aunt figure, like that. Is it weird to imagine going through the matching process with someone I know? 
Is it weird? Is it weird? No. Okay. Who said that? <laughs> uh, I would say that this is a form of this is a form of crushes, right? It's like a subset of having a crush, right? So, is it weird? If you want to be weird, if, I mean, if you're making weird, it's entirely. I mean, I guess the question is like, is it? Yeah, and you sh I mean, ultimately, you shouldn't feel ashamed of it. Like it's you're having a crush, perhaps, and and. You can talk about that with someone, yeah. All right. How to address the shame cycle, pinpoint it. Okay, so this is cool. Uh, usually, what happens with the shame cycle is it looks something like this. It's a Saturday, you have a day off, maybe you're at home, you decide I'm gonna wake up at 6 a.m., do hunuke, and then I'm gonna go work out or go on a jog, right? 6 a.m. comes, you hit the alarm, the snooze button, you sleep until 11 a.m. You wake up and you're like, man, what happened? I'm a, I can't believe I just did that. And then you watched YouTube for two hours. Then you, you know, like this, and this kind of cycle goes. So what happens is that people feel an emotion of shame, and they try to drown that feeling of shame, which is a powerful emotion, with what? How do they, how do they try to drown that emotion? <coughs> Escaping with more, more of the same thing that got you there in the first place, right? So it's kind of spirals like that and cycles like that. So I think the first thing is understanding that mistakes will happen and, and how you react to a mistake is entirely dependent on you. It's like you're climbing this mountain and every time you trip or bump your knee, you have an opportunity to look, look at yourself and say, okay, uh, I can either get back up and keep walking and learn how to not do that again, not trip up again, or I can just lie in the mud and roll all the way back down to the mountain which is what a lot of people do when they're spiraling in the shame cycle. It's like, oh, what was me? I can't believe I'm like this still. I'm the worst. I haven't prog progressed at all, yeah? But you have an opportunity every time you make a mistake to learn something new, yeah. Let's see. Do I have to be clean from porn and masturbation for a certain amount of time before I can start the matching process? The official answer is, there is a very, very high recommendation that you will be abstained for six months at least. Okay? How can I break the concept of having to be perfect when going to the blessing? How can I break the concept that I have to be perfect to go to the blessing? Hmm. Yeah. Well, you won't be perfect. Um, I think for me, honestly, the greatest liberation in my own marriage has been a time where we were living in Japan. This was the first four years of our blessing or so. We were living in Tokyo in a tiny apartment and it was stressful and hot and it was expensive. I was not making money and I decided to get this really expensive apartment. I don't know why, I was stupid. I don't know, I wanted to provide for my wife. We were just kind of starting our relationship. Turns out it was a terrible idea. It caused so much stress. Uh, not the finances, it was our relationship, our communication that was the, 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 the problem, not finance. That's not the cause of it. Um, we were, I remember being so, we were so upset and angry at each other that I just like one time like left the apartment and I just grabbed my backpack and I just was throwing my stuff outside the apartment and I was just like, <laughs> like this. <laughs> And I remember like these Japanese guys were like, oh my God, like this American, you know. <laughs> it's funny now, but at the time I was going crazy. And uh, 
I don't know what happened, but after that like rock bottom in our relationship, I realized somehow, some mirac miraculously, I realized that it is, is really unreasonable for me to think that I'd be perfect at marriage from the beginning. Because marriage requires two people to grow, principally speaking. It requires that two people grow to become like God. And that process is sometimes painful. It stretches your heart. It stretches your capacity to love each other. Because you have to learn how to love somebody that is different from you and share space and share thoughts and share your, your life with somebody that is different from you. And that process is sometimes painful. And so my realization was that, oh, this is actually the process that I'm supposed to go to in this blessing. And it's hard because I wanted a perfect relationship. I wanted to not struggle. I wanted to not be stressed because I'm a high achiever and I want everything to be great all the time. But I was hit with the reality that, oh, I'm not perfect and I'm struggling a lot. And so I gave myself the liberation and a realization is like, oh, this is the blessing. Does that make sense? This hardship I'm feeling, this stress I'm not like the, the, the us butting heads is like, this is part of it because I'm learning every day how to love her more and more and accept her more and more. This is what the blessing's about. And so I stopped beating myself up and saying, look, I'm a terrible husband. This is, blessing's not gonna work out, which is all the thoughts I had, right? This is not how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this hard. And I realized like, oh, this is actually what it's supposed to be like. And if I can get through, through this, and we did, then the result will be something more beautiful, like a diamond that has been through a massive amounts of pressure to become a diamond. Yeah? Yeah. So having that mental liberation, I think, is helpful to understand. It's like, you won't be perfect from the beginning. You won't. You can't. And in fact, it's unreasonable to think you'd be perfect at marriage from the beginning. It's unprincipled, actually. I like that one more. It's unprincipled that you would be everything. You would be able to encompass God's heart from the beginning, because you can't. You can only express part of God's heart from the beginning, right? All right. Um, what's the fastest way to beat porn? Uh, just stop. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm serious. I'm serious. Where to God? People mis misunderstand this because they think it takes a long time to quit porn because it took a long time to develop the habit. Not true. Think about this. Anybody who has ever quit porn, ever, at some point they just stopped. Right? Why can't that be you? And there's this confusion because people think it'll take a long time to quit porn. I'll tell you a fact of the matter is it's easy to quit porn. Recovery takes time. Healing takes time. Quitting porn is instantaneous. It just happens like this. It's a decision. The healing takes time. The recovery takes time. The addressing the root reasons why I want to escape to this, to this crutch in my life, understanding that and dealing with that takes time. Does that make sense? So that's the fastest way. Understand that it's not a porn issue, it's, it's a, a more of an emotional issue. Is it ideal to have a, simple, a simply brother-sister relationship before becoming romantic? I think, this is, I think it's asking about in a matching process. Is it ideal to have a simple brother-sister relationship? It is ideal to have a brother-sister relationship with everybody. And this is my point, is that every single person that you interact with, every single person that when you're ready to be in a matching process and look for prospects, 
every single person you should see, this is my brother, this is my sister, this is a uniquely valuable son or daughter of God. And I'm going to first look at them through that lens, first and foremost. And which is why you're practicing this now in your life, in GPA, before you're matched and blessed. It's because you can have the skill of looking at people as a brother or sister, right? By the way, I want to address this like <clears throat> overarching concern of people have of entering a matching process, all right? It's a big decision to make. I recommend that you talk with a lot of people. I do. And I know there's some weird taboo and myth in our movement where if you get matched with someone or start communicating with someone and then you break it off, you've broken your matching or something like that. You're just having a conversation. And it's not dating in the sense that your intention is for sexual pleasure or self-centered pleasure. No. Your intention is, I'm going to find an eternal spouse that shares my beliefs and do it together with my family. That's different from dating, wouldn't you say? It's very different. So it's okay and it's reasonable to talk with many different people. In fact, a lot of you guys will talk with dozens of people before you find someone. Because it's an important decision that you gotta make. So I'm saying it's, it's like people are so afraid to make a decision because why? Why are people afraid? Tell me, you tell me. To get into a communication with someone. Fear of failure or rejection. Fear of rejection, fear of getting our heart hurt, right? But here's the thing goes, if you, if you do the matching process correctly, there shouldn't be any room for getting your hearts hurt. Why is that? Because you're on the same page. Ideally, you're on the same page every step of the way. You're on the same page with your parents. You're united. You're on the same page with your matching partner. You're united. You're having conversations about everything. You can think of it like you're climbing a staircase, and every time you're walking, you're on the same stairs, right? Are those three-legged three races, you know those things? It's like every step is in sync, and you're united, and you're together. What, where heartbreak happens and difficulty happens in the process is one person is way ahead or way behind. And they have to kind of bring each other back on the same page. But if every step you're on the same page, then it makes sense. Every step makes sense. Because you take one step, which is like, hey, let's have a conversation for three weeks. He's like, OK, let's do a condition about this. OK, let's, uh, let's talk on the phone. OK, cool. Sounds good. Let's do that for a few months. Let's meet in person, have our families meet. OK, that sounds great. Let's uh, you know, maybe consider um, uh, doing a matching ceremony, a commitment ceremony. OK, that's the next stage. But if at any point you guys decide that you know, I don't want to go there, that's, that's not, I'm not ready for that step, you talk about it. And you'll be on the same page. If you're doing it right, if you're communicating constantly, you'll be on the same page every step of the way. So I'm saying this because you guys don't have to worry about that. You know? How do I know whether or not watching Netflix movies or social media, et cetera, is a result from lack of love or inability to deal with my emotions? Yes, good question. I would say, <clears throat> ask yourself the last time you were the most stressed or anxious or lonely or depressed how did you deal with the emotion? How do you deal with it? If your tendency was to isolate and be alone, and your first thought was, I want to be alone right now, I don't want to be around anybody, that's pretty indicative that it's a use to escape those emotions, right? Does that make sense? So what it really comes down to, guys, like here's the secret to all of my years of helping Plenty of people quit porn long term for like years. Is they simply just make the decision earlier on before it comes an issue. They address the root issue. They address, man, I'm really stressed today. I just got upset while I was driving. My mom said something and it really hurt my feelings. 
right? Something's wrong. That's when you have to make a decision. Not after you've decided to isolate yourself and watch Netflix and YouTube and binge watch something and Instagram, watch porn and masturbate, and they're like, oh man, now I'm gonna go talk to someone because I feel crappy. That's the wrong time to talk with someone. Because the feeling you have where it really starts is like, man, I feel this difficult emotion, I just wanna be alone. I promise you that's where it starts. And it sounds, it sounds innocent, doesn't it? Netflix, all this stuff. It sounds innocent, and I know it does, trust me. It sounds innocent, but that's actually where it starts. That's actually where addictions start, is with those things. Again, nothing inherently wrong with those things, right? Netflix, I have Netflix on my phone, I think. Not necessarily evil. But if you use it as a way to, to escape, then that's how something destructive can happen, all right? As someone who has a lot of crushes, what if it still goes on in a marriage? Like what to do, so what do I do to avoid it because I feel it just happens? All right. Oh, do you guys experience a lot of crushes? Anybody? Yes? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I just, you, you offered, that's fine. <laughs> My theory on this is that more people struggle with crushes than we think. And I think people that really struggle a lot are the ones that internalize it more than others do. And they beat themselves up more than others do. And I think two people can have the same uh, like relationship with crushes or like the same level of crushes or amount of crushes, but have very different reactions. To the same extent, some, two people can have the exact same porn habit, like the same use, the same frequency, but their reaction to it can be very different, depending on a few things, but also depending on how they internalize it, how they feel about their habit, also their values, right? Religious person, strong values, atheistic person, doesn't believe in afterlife or anything and everything's fine. Has the same addiction, different reaction. Why? Because their values are different. This torment in their heart isn't there, generally. Um, so, <clears throat> I think if someone has a dependency on crushes as a form of like fantasizing or like escaping difficult emotions, which many times is the case, you can expect that if that root issue wasn't resolved before marriage, that they will bring that dependency or that, that habit into a relationship, okay? And it's tempting to think that as soon as I'm in a relationship, a habit will disappear or an addiction will disappear, right? It's tempting to think that. But the reality is that a habit is a habit for a reason. It's called a habit for a reason, <laughs> which is what? A habit is something that you keep with you even if you don't want it. And so it's important to address these things before later because it will manifest in another way. And some people, it doesn't manifest. Sometimes you'll, you'll have crushes a lot and then you get married and it'll become a porn thing, right? I've talked to drug addicts that don't struggle with porn, right? This guy was like, I, I don't watch porn, I don't need that. I'm like. You're literally doing cocaine right now. <laughs> it's because you don't, you haven't found, you haven't found a need for it. You're not trying to, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I hope that communicated properly. <laughs> I was saying that because I was talking with a guy who was like about porn. He was like, ah, it's not a big deal. It's like, I don't struggle at all with porn. It's not a big deal for me. All those guys are weird. And I was like, you're, you have, you know, anyways. <laughs> Drug addict. Okay, this is cool. Uh, moving your body is a healthy way to deal with emotions, but isn't that a form of escapism? 
to not deal with the emotion, brothers play sports or something. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> This is fun. I love this. Yeah. There can be, there can be developed an unhealthy behavior with, with hobbies, right? Even music. Think about this for a second. Like listening to music can be a form of escapism. It's like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to go in my world and listen to music. Sounds innocent. Sports too. I will say that um, I think that the false assumption under this question is that something is either unhealthy or healthy. Like, there is forms of healthy, healthy way to deal with it or non-healthy. But it's not really a black and white, it's more of a spectrum, okay? It's more of a continuum of how healthy something is. And like I said before, there are healthier ways to deal with things, and I think moving your body is, is a healthy and natural way to deal with emotion, for sure, right? But it's probably not the absolute healthiest way. It is much better than a lot of stuff, would you say? It's better than doing drugs. It's better than eating junk food. It's better than watching porn. It's better than going on social media. Right? But it's not the worst thing, and it's not the absolute best. It's amongst the better things, for sure, because it's healthy, right? Move your body. It's not an endless stream of like stimulation like your phone is. It's like endless stuff you could do on YouTube or Instagram. But amongst the most healthy things you can do is really to share with someone, you know? Be able to have a wide support system of people that you can connect with. A deeper connection, a, a safety net, where it's like, I always have people to connect with, you know? Okay, I deal with crushes often, and I avoid the opposite gender. How can I develop my sibling heart with the opposite gender during life of faith programs like GPA? Good question. I think start by noticing when you don't, the times where you don't feel susceptible to those emotions. Like, notice the times where you feel truly like this person's my sister or my brother. And we don't notice those times because we don't notice them. Does that make sense? The reason we don't notice when we don't notice is because we're not noticing. But it's true that sometimes you feel more susceptible to developing un unhealthy fantasies or crushes or relationships, and sometimes you don't, right? So noticing the times you don't and focusing on why is that happening, right? And I'm pretty sure you will find something interesting there. I'm pretty sure you can name a few right now. What are those times? When you're witnessing? I think there's actually some truth to that, right? When you're fundraising? When you're at workshop? When you're feeling connected to God, perhaps? When you're feeling loved, filled up, maybe after you just had a good conversation with your parent? So it's interesting, right? So like we've been saying, it's less about focusing on the negative behaviors and eliminating them, but more on focusing on the, the things that will make those negative behaviors non-existent anymore. And if you focus on those enough, you will just not even notice that you don't notice. Okay, people that crush a lot, you hear me? Crushes disappear eventually. Okay? You free, few weird freaks of nature that have crushes. Ugh. Weirdos that watch porn. <laughs> Crushes always disappear. They do. And they only stay because you're stoking them like a fire. And you're putting fuel on it. You're having give and take with it. But if you just let it die, all fires die out eventually. Oof. Mm. In going through the process, the matching process, is it okay to avoid people who seem to not be growing or have a growth mindset? 
Yeah, completely fine. Yeah. I think if somebody is not willing to grow, it's pretty indicative that they're not ready for a relationship. Period. Yeah. You just have to make sure that your understanding of what someone is willing to grow means and actually have a conversation about that and not just jump to conclusions. Like, oh, this person's not ready to grow. They're immature. But if someone is, if someone, if two people are willing to learn how to love, that's a recipe for a successful relationship, right? How do you stop from porn and masturbation if you find it difficult feeling guilty about it? Yes, excellent. So if someone has a porn and masturbation uh, dependency behavior and doesn't really feel shame or guilt about it, um, how do they stop? All, all behavior changes start with how has this negatively impacted my life already? Because it's tempting, a lot of people will say, if I ask people on a call, like, why do you want to quit porn? Nine times out of 10, I'm not kidding you, will say, I want to quit porn for my future spouse. Terrible reason. Noble, yes, but a terrible motivator. Why? Because it's not real. It's not present. It's not in the moment. Because what usually happens is somebody will take their addiction to the point where they have to give it up because they're in a matching process and they're looking face to face with someone and they're saying to themselves, okay, now I have to give it up. That's not how addictions work, right? Because, why? Because there's an underlying issue that's still not being addressed. Even if somebody successfully decides to quit porn and they just stop cold turkey, but they never address the reason they had in the first place, what happens? It will manifestate, manifest in some other way. Let me tell you a really quick analogy. Imagine that you had an itchy, itchy uh, rash on your arm, all right? You have an itchy rash, you woke up, you were concerned, you went to the doctor, you asked for some, some help. The doctor prescribes a prescription cream for your itch. You go home, you put the cream on your, on your rash, what happens to your rash? It disappears. Magical. The next day, you wake up, your rash is bigger, it's redder, it's itchier. <laughs> you go back to the dog and you say, dog, what's going on? The cream helped, but now it's not helping. Your dog, doctor gives you a stronger prescription of cream. You put it on, disappears, the next day the rash is back, but it's bigger and redder and itchier. You do this for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and years to the point where you're wondering if this cream is even helping and what's going on. So because you guys are smart, what are the logical ways to get rid of this rash in this hypothetical example? Find the cause, the root cause. Okay, Youngson said, find the root cause, what else? Go to a different doctor. Go to a different doctor or get a different, get a different cream. What else? <laughs> that would work. Okay. What? Diet? Oh, change the root cause, right? Figure out the root cause and change your diet. Yeah. So you, there's three ways. You, you figure out the root cause. You change your cream to something more natural, right? Something more healthy, herbal, herbal or whatever. And number three, you stop using the cream. <laughs> and this is exactly what it's like to have a porn addiction or any addiction. These people are applying a cream to deal with a root issue, but they keep applying the cream. But the problem is most people will just stop the behavior and just say, I'm just gonna stop doing it. But what happens if you just stop using the cream, but you don't do anything else? You don't address the root issue and you don't have a replacement cream. You have an uncontrollable desire to itch all the time. 
which sucks, right? So if someone just stops a behavior without addressing the root issue, and they just stop it, they'll have this, what's called a withdrawal symptom. They feel irritable, they feel angry, they feel stressed all the time. They don't know how to deal with themselves. And this is why people don't quit, and they just don't, because they're not doing all three things together. You have to do all of them together to change a behavior, right? And the most important one coming is addressing the root issue of why you had this itch in the first place, right? That makes sense? Yeah, remember that analogy. Okay, how do I know my matching partner is a good match? Excellent question. Uh, I think we touched it a bit. I think we should follow suit with what uh, your parents really focused on. If you really look at what he did, how is it possible that you can take strangers, hundreds of thousands of strangers, <laughs> and match them people, and make it a good match, right? How's it possible? Because if True Father went out in the streets of New York City and matched strangers together and said, you guys are matched, what would they do? What would they say? Uh, like, what? No. Because they don't have what? They don't have faith in True Parents. They don't have the common belief in a shared value of the blessing, which people do when they're going to the matching of True Parents, right? So, I think that's a good place to start. It's like, does this person share my values and my vision? And that's number one. And I think what is an important indication that someone's a good match is, do I feel comfortable being myself with this person? I think that's something we, we don't really talk about. It's, it's actually a very important one to me. Do I, feel, do I feel comfortable being myself and being open with this person? Do I feel like this person can give me grace? And on the flip side, can I give them grace? And if that's the case, and you guys are willing to learn how, learn how to love, then that's wonderful. That's a great match. Yeah? All right. Okay. Go. i